Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is Taylor, your host, and I hope that you all are having a wonderful week as best you can these days. I want to encourage y'all to vote, 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 okay? I hope that you are already registered to vote. I hope that you have a plan to vote. I hope that if you're able to vote by mail, that you do so. Um, Just remember here, we all have a right to vote, and people have fought very hard for our right to vote. And that it's a right that we have. It is not a privilege. It is a right to vote. So if you have the privilege of having that right, which not everybody has uh, in our country, unfortunately, that I hope you exercise that and you help make your voice be heard. Uh, Today, I'm so incredibly thrilled to share this interview with y'all. I had crutches and spice from Instagram, crutches underscore and spelled out underscore spice, uh, Amani Barbarin. And I honestly, I have followed her for quite some time now and I'll talk about that as well, but I fucking loved this episode. Okay. (laughs) So much. And I'm I think in all levels here, we have to remember that we're all always learning, right? That as woke as we want to be, as like PC as we want to be, we don't know everything and we're not going to ever always know everything. We're going to make mistakes. There's going to be things that we are uneducated on, especially when it's not our own lived experience. And in one of those areas for me, that's been around disability. And I realized, you know, there really haven't been any podcast episodes, maybe one or two where it's kind of been touched on, but not really. And also where I haven't actually like given any kind of spotlight as a guest for anyone who has a disability. So I felt like that was overdue and I am so, I mean, like she's one of my favorite people on Instagram that I follow, even disability aside. Um, but also really, really appreciate how she does communicate about that. So uh, Amani is a uh, disability blogger, a content creator. She's a public speaker, a model, an actress. Um, she's a uh, creative writer. Um, she works on web series. Um, she just, she, she does a lot. Um, and I super appreciate all of the content that she puts out there. As always, getting into any kind of episode on here, I hope that y'all are coming into this with an open mind, an open heart, open ears. I will give a little bit of a uh, content warning trigger. Uh, we do discuss abortion. Um, we do discuss politics slightly, not really, kind of. Um, <laughs> but I hope that you come into this open-minded. Uh, we are going to break down some stigmas around people with disabilities and their sexuality and accessibility and talk about ableism. And I hope you do feel a little bit uncomfortable Uh, listening to this episode. I hope that there are things that maybe you sit with afterwards or that you um, feel kind of turning within yourself as you listen. And that's a part of the learning. Uh, I hope that you give her a follow. Again, that's at uh, crutches underscore and underscore spice. Um, And check out some of their work and also many other people, okay? This is just one person here that I'm featuring and that I'm having um, on the podcast, but also hope to share more of this kind of content because if we really do want to live our lives, especially for me, like in my values as um, someone who would like to identify as an intersectional feminist, we really have to look at actually like the basis of intersectionality um, by Kimberly Crenshaw and really take a look at how we're actually, you know, living that out. Um, so yeah, here's, here's, I guess, a step in that direction for, for me, I think for many of my listeners here is probably around race and around blackness. Um, and so I guess I'm going to hit y'all with a double whammy here, which is my fave with, uh, Amani, who is, uh, not only a black woman, but is also, uh, living with a disability as well. So, with all of this said, I'm so excited to share with you all the fantasticness that she is. Please check out her on Instagram because she cracks me the fuck up so hard. It's so great. Uh, <laughs> with all of that said, y'all, 
Let's talk about it. All right. Welcome, Imani, to the show. Thank you so, so, so much for being on here, for chatting with me about all this stuff today. I'm so excited and looking forward to this interview slash conversation. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Um, I don't remember how I found your page, but I feel like I've been following you for a long time now. And I wish I'd been following you even longer, even prior to when I did find you, uh, because I just... I'm obsessed with all of your content, everything you put out, like you are so savage and fucking hilarious and also just very fucking on it, on all of it and do so, so fiercely that I'm like, that's my kind of attitude. Like that's yes, yes. Like more of this, like shit does not always have to be packaged up in this like super, super pretty, um, polite way, politically correct way every time. And like a ton of what you're doing on your platform is educating people on ableism and, um, voting and sex, but also kind of all through this lens of, um, almost, I want to say disability justice, maybe, um, of just allowing folks to be educated on ableism. And I have to say, I've, I definitely think I've been, processing more of that work. And I have been able to learn so much from you too, which is also where I'm like super happy to have you on. Um, But would love for us to kind of start off a little bit um, with you kind of sharing a bit about, I've talked about the work that you do, but I want to let you talk about the work that you do (laughs) and kind of how you go about like creating all of this. Yeah. So like, all of my work started on social media. Like I got recruited yeah. from my for my full time job on social media, which was very much so like, ooh, they found me. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was like it was both like amazing and horror. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, so like I always saw social media as kind of like this very communal thing. Like I started mm-hmm. my Twitter profile in two thousand nine. But then I was like, Twitter's not really a thing. That's not really something that people do and mm-hmm. in my circles. And then like in, around 2000, I want to say 15 or 16, I started really taking it seriously because I wanted somebody other than my mom to read my blog who would mm-hmm. stop reading it at the time. Um, so, <laughs> Thanks, so mom. She was, <laughs> yeah, like, mm. She's like, I was like, mom, did you read this? So she's like, no, I did not. Uh, she's like, I have stuff to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I wanted somebody else to read it. Um, and I found community on, on Twitter and like expanded into Instagram and now TikTok. And um, mm-hmm. it was never really a Snapchat person because I really don't know, really know how it functions. But yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> terrified. Yeah. But, yeah. Like I always love social media and I always figured like when I was, when I was first starting my profiles, I, I decided I really kind of tried to discern what kind of disabled person I wanted to be because mm-hmm. there were so many representations of disability that were just, just, very saccharine like very sugary sweet and like Mm -hmm. very it was almost like you know begging for non-disabled people to take notice of us Mm -hmm. um and my I was like I don't really want to do that I want to kind of be authentic and talk about my experiences and if people have you know really want to argue with me they can try but Mm -hmm. they won't succeed (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so yeah that's kind of how I always really Mm -hmm. approach social media yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong here. I did a little bit of stalking on you. Um, but you had started off like wanting to be in entertainment. Um, yeah. And you've also done a lot just speaking out on like the lack of representation um, of people with disabilities on, like in entertainment. Um, and wondering if you can kind of touch a little bit on on that topic. Yeah, so I've always really wanted to see representation of disabled people, specifically black women, mm-hmm. because I, I always like to look at media that shows me a window into a couple years ahead of me, and mm. I really never had that um, growing up, watching representations of disability, um, and even now, I really don't have it very often. There's very few disabled black actresses who are working and who are getting roles, Um Mm-hmm. A lot of our representation, the very little that we do get is white people. It's something like yeah. 3% of speaking roles are of disabled characters and only a handful of disabled people actually play them. Mm-hmm. So I really was like, well, where am I? Where am I supposed to be in all this? And I remember very at a young age, my parents and, you know, 
people around me were very cautious about me being in entertainment. Um, my dad was in entertainment his entire life. Um, and he was like, it's a very cutthroat world. You know, they're not going to see your crutches and they may not really want to accept you. You're going to have to be aware of that. And so I was always kind of brushed into entertainment that was, you know, musical or writing, something where I could detach my talent from who I, my physical body. Mm-hmm. So now kind of, now I'm taking acting lessons and like kind of going after it because I'm like, I can figure out a way in that isn't the traditional way because the traditional way never represented me in the first place. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, and something too that I saw you say like along those lines was also that people might be casting for those roles, but they're also not making even how people get to set accessible. Like that yeah. that's not even a thought. Like you're not even necessarily thinking about the casting and inviting them into that role, but then even all the things that they would have to consider to even invite you in that isn't considered. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that people don't understand is that it's not enough for like the physical thing or the service or the place to be accessible. It has to be every single step along the way. So like Mm -hmm. if I'm having a bad pain day and I need to move an appointment around, that means I can't get there. If my transportation is taking three or four hours to get me there because paratransit is horribly understaffed around the country, then mm-hmm. I'll miss I'll miss my meeting. You know, if I have an allergic reaction because people didn't tell me about what was in my coffee getting there, mm-hmm. you know, there's a yeah. whole thing, you know, there's a whole wide range of things. And there are the, some things that people can't control, but there are a lot of things that we can advocate for as a society to make sure that disabled people can get to their dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious what, what your dream would be in all of this. <laughs> if you talk about, you know, wanting to advocate for disabled people to be able to reach their dreams, what would yours be? I would love to be in film and TV. I'd love to write, you know, my own show. I've been writing the same show since I was 18 years old, like off and Dang. on. Yes, it's, 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 it's been through a lot of iterations, but I mm-hmm. have, I've written this show and I would love to be in film i'd love to work with other disabled people like that would be mm-hmm. the, the dream if we could all just like be on the same thing work on the same yes. thing together um, mm-hmm. and create a space where we kind of understood our work processes and understood each other um yeah. but yeah like that's kind of my dream is to to work in film and tv uh one day um mm-hmm. and then write you know intermittently between then uh mm-hmm. do things like that uh i'm working towards it uh, in my own way uh, but it is daunting to get closer to your dreams because you're like, oh no, this is real. This is, I'm about to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. This is becoming reality. I don't know how to respond to this. It's supposed to be this far off dream. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and on this dream piece of like being in film, uh, this reminds me one of the recent posts that you did educating folks on ableism was pointing at like our childhood villains and was curious if you could touch a bit on this. And again, I feel like almost every piece that I'm going to bring up here are things that you've posted on that could be a whole podcast episode on its own um, that I think does provide a ton of value and highly, highly encourage people to check out Crutches and Spice page because it's... And even just the name, I'm like, that was perfect. <laughs> you. you know, I think you know, I, I wanted to do a piece kind of because social media and these filters and stuff gives people so many so much power to represent the other. And I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of highlight the ways in which people were using it. So I created this video about how so many Disney villains and childhood villains were actually coded as disabled. You know, Captain Hook. Um, Darth Vader, Scar, Lord Voldemort, uh, mm-hmm. all of these characters have either facial deformities or disabilities or scarring that show like a disability or outward sign of evil. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that because we kind of glom on to these representations because we want to believe that there's an outward sign of somebody's bad intentions. And mm-hmm. we think about that a lot when we think about politicians. Um, yeah. And we kind of diagnose people without any other evidence that they have either mental health issues or mental disabilities or cognitive disabilities simply because we want there to be a sign 
of why they are the way that they are. Um, and it mm-hmm. really starts in childhood and so much of our entertainment informs the way we see disabilities. You know, um, I don't know if it's Freddie or Freddie, like there's a lot of skull. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know who you're talking about. Freddie, what's Kruger. his face? The scary guy. Yeah, Freddie Krueger, you yeah. know. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like there's there's a whole history of like disability and horror. Um, disability uh, in children's films is an outward sign of they're evil. And mm-hmm. it's really detrimental to disabled people because we kind of other disabled people in that way. Um, yeah. When we use certain filters like long face on TikTok or things like that. So, yeah, I think that representation mm-hmm. of disability needs to be more nuanced than that. Um, we also get a lot of representat- representation of disabled people of like chil- that are children or, you know, just incapable of doing things or that they're inspirational for doing other things. And it's like, we are just people. Mm-hmm. I put my shoe, well, depending on which leg is swollen that day, I put my shoe on one one leg at a time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that people don't see us as actual human beings. They see us as, like, media to be consumed that's in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and hearing it in that form, you know, as you're going through the video of, like, okay, yeah, like, let's talk about, like, the first forms of ableism that you probably encountered within these childhood uh, villains that had really never struck me before, which again is like something I've never had to actually think about because of the different privileges that I carry. Um, But it's, it does make total sense of how that dehumanizes people with disabilities and makes sense how on a, you know, on a macro level that then influences everything down the line into the resources and the representation and the treatment of other people. And, uh, you know, I think you had one video where you were talking about like this woman just like praying over you and like, like helping, like hoping for like a, um, for like a normal, healthy life for you. It's like, what are you doing? There there are so many stories like that. I could, like, I could, that could be a podcast in and of itself. I had one person, well, one woman, like, walk up to me. Like, you, I could clock her coming towards me. And I was like, mm-hmm. this isn't going to end well. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, Mm-mm. I was like 11 years old, so I was very young. But this woman, like, comes up to me, grabs my face, kisses me, and starts crying. And then just walks away. And I was like, what just happened? Like, and my mom was, and one of the things about my mom and I, my mom will walk ahead of me, like, because I walk a little bit slower than her. Mm-hmm. And she just turned around and was like, why are you taking so long? Like, because it was longer than normal. <laughs> she was like, that yeah. lady. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just bizarre behavior. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's uncomfortable a lot of the time. Yeah, I can imagine. That sounds incredibly, like, violating of your privacy, of just, like, your body oh, yeah. <laughs> to begin with. Um, and I got, I want to touch on this too. Um, oh, there's so many things, so many things that like you pointed out that I'm like, ah, they're all amazing conversations here. Um, the, uh, oh shit, this is totally going to blank from my head of what it was. And I knew I should have jotted it down. Um, but there was a section on ableism and like, Yes, I want to talk about ableism because that is also part of what you talk about and your lived experience, Um, but also do want us to get to other things because I love doing that even when people are like professionals in a certain area. I'm like, yeah, but I also just want to talk about like you, you know, like being a person, like being biracial and like going on other shows and stuff where people are like, oh, like, let's talk about like you being black and like, blah. And I'm like, okay, I also do a bunch of other things. So, you know, we could talk about those things too. So I'm like, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about ableism and and disability, but, um, there are a few other things on this topic, uh, that I would love to just kind of expand on a little bit more with you. Um, one of them, uh, was how ableism is a useful tool for racism. Mm -hmm. And part of that you outline and and you kind of walk people through that, how that works out within politics and with access to voting. Um, And would love if you could kind of share a little bit of that. Yeah, and it it harkens back to that point where I told you that um, disabled people are treated like children. Uh, So Mm -hmm. a lot of people advocate for disabled people, but never with disabled people. And if you can Mm -hmm. tell somebody that... Uh, a policy or an idea 
benefits disabled people, people don't really question about whether it's detrimental to another group of people. Um, and in particular, I think that the TikTok video you're referring to, I talked about how uh, in Georgia they shut down polling centers during the, gov- during the governor's mm-hmm. race in predominantly black neighborhoods by using the ADA because 60 to 80 percent of polling places are inaccessible to, to disabled people. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that goes across the board. You know, when we talk about um, abortion laws and people saying, oh, you shouldn't abort even if the child is disabled and disabled people are like, can I just get health care? And then the other side is saying, but what yep. if you need to abort because it's a disabled child and disabled people are still like, can I just get health care? And so um, yes. it's very much so using disabled people's pawns um, in order to mm-hmm. marginalize further somebody else. Um, and the disability mm-hmm. community is uh, is so vast that, like, a lot of disabled people are like, just let us speak for ourselves um, and say mm-hmm. that what we need, say because we don't have special needs, we have needs that are very similar mm-hmm. to the rest of society as we're seeing it play out in the pandemic. Um, yeah. Give us the megaphone and we'll say what we have to say for ourselves. Um, so mm-hmm. I always caution people to look deeper whenever policies are, are enacted um yeah it's very it's it's very it's a huge problem and even some policies you know that are meant to to marginalize black and brown people accidentally marginalize disabled people like for a lot of people Mm -hmm. stand for sipping you can't get hot food but if you're disabled you can't be standing and cooking for too long if you're somebody with chronic pain or dexterity issues so it's just Mm -hmm. the system has to work for everybody yeah there's levels on this. And part of what you just said, that conversation around uh, disability and abortion, that was that was what was popping up in my brain a second ago. <laughs> um, we're talking about that because I, like, I've heard this in conversations and my thought process with this, and maybe parts of this are problematic and I'm totally open to that as well. But does that not seem like fucked up that people that are quotes pro-life would understand and say, I support it if they know they're going to have a child with a disability because wouldn't that literally just be perpetuating ableism and saying then that that person is not like quality of life enough or quality enough of a person to live and and maybe that person doesn't necessarily want an abortion because their child might have a disability maybe there's some other reason there but the fact that uh folks who are quote pro-life would argue okay yeah you know it's understandable if they have a disability doesn't that then just question like okay so then do you think that people who have disabilities who are alive should have like that that would have been understandable that they would have been aborted? Well, I think that there's, I think there's a lot of issues at play. One, I think that people do inherently recognize the systemic ableism that disqualifies disabled people from a lot of uh, sectors of society. Um, People believe that disabled people have less quality of life because of capitalism too, because we can't produce as much. So then we're not going to make as much, so then we're going to be quote-unquote burdens on society. Um, then there's the mm-hmm. issue of uh, disabled people being, you know, sometimes not aesthetically pleasing in society. And people mm-hmm. believe that we're not supposed to be in public or to be seen or heard. Yeah. Um, there's also the issue that um, the issue that, you know, disabled people are uh, are needy and, you know, want and are difficult to protect. Um, and so we're just mm-hmm. going to have a harder life because people were, are more likely to abuse us. I think there's so many mm-hmm. issues that surround abortion and disability that really don't take into consideration the needs of the disability community in general. You know, and, yeah. And I think, and I think it's, and I think, you know, uncomfortably, I think it's a both sides issue. It's not like, you know, I'm pro. You know, a lot of people told my mother to abort me when she found out then that I would be disabled. And my mom decided mm-hmm. not to, but that was her choice. And she recognizes mm-hmm. that that was her choice. But there are not a lot of people in the similar situation as my mother was, um, mm-hmm. you know, who was at the time financially stable and who, you know, really wanted me. You know, my parents made sure to tell me that I was wanted. Um, yeah. And that's not the case for a lot of 
disabled people who are uh, brought into the world. And then there's also the situation of uh, infanticide, you know, where a lot of disabled or filicide where disabled people are killed disproportionately by caregivers and Mm -hmm. relatives, family members. So I think that we as a society have to detach ourselves from this capitalist structure of value as it pertains to human beings um, and really Mm -hmm. kind of be more humanist towards one another um, because this Mm -hmm. question would be resolved. I think the question would resolve itself. You know, people who would, who have Mm -hmm. abortions, abortions would go down in general because people would have greater access to, you know, yeah, to actual reproductive health care and and birth control and preventative measures. Exactly. It's like, you know, and, yeah. and using disabled people as pawns is a problem because a lot of reproductive health care is not accessible to us to begin with. And to have this conversation start yeah. with, oh, well, we're only going to talk about disability as it pertains to abortion. It kind of writes out an entire cache of needs mm-hmm. that we uh, we as a community have when it comes to our reproductive health. Yeah. Well, and even all of the <laughs> all of the reasons that you even listed, right, of why someone would quote, understandably, you know, want to uh, abort or, or think that they have all the right reason to abort, all of those reasons are reasons that aren't even actually, like, uh, thoroughly addressed and that are things that we just continue to perpetuate in our culture. Mm-hmm. Like, if we actually looked at examining those things and, like you said, kind of refocusing and taking, like, less value on a person in terms of how much they produce, mm-hmm. right? And how much they can contribute to our capitalist culture, uh, that then maybe some of those reasons even that someone would use for that would not even exist. Yeah. Or at least be way reduced. Yeah, and this is the argument that kind of reflects itself into the women who were forced into hysterectomies and in, in ICE mm-hmm. detention centers and camps. Um, it's this idea that somebody doesn't deserve to have a family because society tells them that their entire race or their entire group is less than or is a burden on society. Um, And so I think that when we talk about abortion and health, reproductive health care, we need to take in mind the history of it too. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're, you know, a lot of people always like to bring up the fact that, you know, abortion was created, you know, to keep the black population down. It's like most things in this country are built upon the horrors that black people face mm-hmm. in this country. So yeah. the idea that you're picking this one, to, you know, to, mm-hmm. to be, you know, I mean, and I understand that people want to advocate for this, um, but it's like, stop using that as an excuse to take away people's reproductive rights. Somebody once said, and I heard it on TikTok and I can't remember who said it, but advocating for the unborn is advocating for the perfect human because they don't speak. They don't have opinions. They don't have a sexuality. They don't have a gender. They are a blank slate that you can advocate, a blank slate of innocence that you can advocate for. Mm-hmm. And anybody who is against that is automatically labeled as a demon. Mm. That's good. And, and I think in addition to that, that when someone's picturing that as as a blank slate, that they might oftentimes too even like project themselves onto that too. Um, yeah. But that's such a good wow. Yeah. If you remember who posted that, definitely let us I know, will, and we'll stick it in the episode. I notes. will tell you if I can find it again because I was like, I love this. This makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. As fucked up but yeah it does make sense um and yeah i mean so much like you said you know a lot of these horrors and and stuff are built on the backs of of black people but also like specifically black women and i think i I, i'm trying to remember how it was i think i want to say i was on instagram and i was going through and was trying to be way more intentional about exposing myself and supporting and following content creators who did have disabilities. And so much of what I did see were white blonde uh, people 
doing fashion um, in their wheelchairs. And I I was just kind of like, Ugh, there's got to be more. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's part of why I have like loved your page because – it seems like you stand in your authenticity on every level. Um, and that, I mean, I think that just feels more relatable for me on like a human to human level. Yeah. Right. But I think I mean, it gets me in a lot of trouble, just, but yeah. <laughs> good trouble. I get in a lot of trouble too, <laughs> but like, I think that that's worth it. I think it's worth it for, you know, being able to stand in that truth. Um, but I'm wondering for you how it is, you know, if you want to speak a little bit to, you know, maybe it is just an extension of like the entertainment industry, but being on social media and seeing the folks who are monetizing or who are expanding their following within the disability community. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I try to, I try to stay away from is knocking how everybody advocates for themselves. One of the things that yeah. like I, that I was, I really had to come to terms with as a disability advocate because it was really hard is the idea that, Disabled people are often forced to produce this inspiration porn to survive, you know, yes. because the commodification of disability is, is the way a lot of people get through and pay for their medication, pay for their house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of creating this sense that people can gaze upon them and they can get, you know, sustenance to survive. So that was really hard for mm-hmm. me. But I do kind of it does it does hurt a little bit. And I do somewhat resent the fact that we only we only give attention as a society to disabled people that are palatable. So mm-hmm. as long as it, we can absorb this person in their entirety. I always say that, like, I'm too many things for a lot of people. I'm a disabled black woman. And when we talk about disability, people think it's divisive of me to talk about race or gender or sexuality mm-hmm. and things like that in disability. So it's very much so, um, I, like, I understand where they're coming from a lot of the time, and I understand um, why they do what they do, and I really don't knock the way that they do it. I just wish that there was space for more diversity in these representations, and that people were more willing to challenge themselves to follow other mm-hmm. content creators who are, who are racially diverse, uh, mm-hmm. or, or of diverse genders and sexualities, um, but we mm-hmm. kind of put disability in a box, and much in the way that um, race, you know, among racial categories, people feel like, oh, if we talk about any of these one things, any one uh, nuanced issue within disability, it feels like we're taking away from the goal of the collective. Um, so I just hope mm-hmm. that that doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's just, it's a hard, it's a yeah. hard thing to, to contend with. Yeah. Well, and I don't think that that's necessarily the reality of it, right? Because everyone is going to have a different experience and a disability is not like a monolith. Yeah. Like everyone's going to have, you know, their own individual experiences based on race, gender, socioeconomic status, what their actual disability is, right? Like everyone is going to have a different experience in that. Yeah, but um, I mean, that's the nature of marginalization in and of itself. You get painted with the same brush. So people think... That mm-hmm. anything that detracts from that and detracts from the collective goal is a hindrance to the community as a whole. So, yeah, that's like people like telling feminists to like pick an issue. Yeah, you know, like, like, do we really need to worry about freeing the nipple? Like, don't we have bigger things to worry it's, about? And it's, it's like ridiculous because it's like I listen. You all, you all throw us in the wars at the same time that you're looking at, at you know repealing the Affordable Care Act. We can focus mm-hmm. on more than one thing too. I like, it doesn't yeah. have to be just one thing. Yes, exactly. Well, I really want to make sure that we get to like sex stuff because I got some questions for <laughs> okay. you on this. But I want to make sure uh, like with election, all this stuff, uh, and while we are still talking about ableism and uh, disability specifically, would love for you to share a little bit about some of the stuff you're working on around um, accessibility and voting at the polls. Yeah, so uh, during the day in my Clark Kent costume, I work for a disability rights organization called Disability Rights Pennsylvania. It's part of the National Disability Rights Network, um, and we are for the protection and advocacy of disabled people. Um, across the United States. You can find your organization at NGRN.org. Every state has one. Um, but I've been doing a lot of work around voting and talking about um, the barriers disabled people have towards the polls. 
Um, yeah. And I'm a part of the series called Vote for Access, uh, which is very, which was very fun to shoot. Uh, I shot mm-hmm. it in Seattle in January, right before everything. Sh- you was in Seattle. I was. I was very excited to be in Seattle. I love Seattle. There's this place called what's the? There's this bun place. Like, bun. It's like dumpling. It's like Bis- the sticky dumpling or something like that. Something to that effect. But they have like Cuba. Mm. Anyways, I'm very obsessed with that place. Uh, <laughs> it's the one place I went to like every single night. But um, I thought you were gonna say biscuit bitch, and I was like, biscuit bitch is my shit. No, it's like this place called. Ah, oh, God, I can't think of it. It's like. If I think of it, I will text it to you. But um, yeah, but yeah. So I think that it's really important to talk about voting issues and disabled people represent, you know, a quarter, almost a quarter of the population. So, mm-hmm. and if disabled people voted at the same rate as those without disabilities, two point three million people would vote. Uh, more so in in the two thousand six. Sorry, let me rephrase that. If mm-hmm. disabled people voted at the same rate as those without disabilities. 2.3 million more people would vote. Hmm. Um, Damn. Yeah. So we need to make voting accessible because I want to have my voice heard and I don't want to stand in a line because I'm tired and I want ice cream. Um, yeah. I, I don't even want to stand in a line. I like, and <laughs> like I look at these lines and I'm no. like, that, like, these lines are so disheartening because I know a lot of disabled people won't vote if they see the lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm very, very thankful in Washington State. We have uh, vote by mail and the drop boxes, yeah. and it's so incredibly convenient. I actually uh, heard this other day. It took us like 10 years to fully develop our system. Wow. Um, and now it was like a New York Times piece. And now, you know, many other states are forced to like transition to a vote by mail system within like a matter of months yeah. uh, because of the pandemic. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I'm so scared. Um, when, I was, but... when I was in Seattle, my friend Alexa was like, you know, we vote by mail. I was like, wait, what? You don't have to wait. No, no, it can't work. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it was actually really why I like started Googling this and I was like, okay, well, what, like, how does this actually work? Yeah. And like, there's a secu- there's a camp, like they have a whole security system. They got badges, like shit, you got to go in. Shit is like triple checked. Yeah. Like it was, they were like, this shit is highly secure. And in um, several states this year. So I, I encourage people to go on the NDRN website, find their local protection advocacy agency, because in several states this year, people with disabilities can vote electronically. Oh. So check it out. Contact your agencies. Make sure you're creating a voting plan that is accessible to you. Um, reach out to the right mm-hmm. parties. Let's get this done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, just on this topic as well here, I mean, like thinking about healthcare, like being a person that has a disability, healthcare has got to be top front of mind and that's not even a like a choice necessarily and I mean I'm all for like Medicare for all I'm like ready to get to Canada already (laughs) um but I'm like I I could a hundred percent picture if I was a person with disability which I I might partially be i I don't know. I've never identified myself as that. And I don't know if that's like uh, fucking whatever the word is I'm looking for. Like unnecessarily, like know your place. I have rods in my back. Um, so I like don't have, I have scoliosis surgery from my neck down to my butt. Um, certainly it like inhibits me from being able to move in certain ways and do certain things. Um, but I've never identified as that. Anyway, my point being that I think healthcare, when you have things that happen in your body that like you don't have a say over, that you actually require and need medical care on, like that should be a fucking right. That should not be like whether or not you have the finances or not. So I do hope that those 2.3, 2.8 million people... 2.3 2.3 million people are able to vote and have their voices well, heard. Well, that's the thing, though, because disability is not a... Plus. Yeah, plus. Because disability is not yes. a monolith. About 40% of disabled people voted for Trump in the 2016 election. So people mm. really need to consider the diversity of the disability community and start really campaigning, you yeah. know, to get disabled votes, too. Um, so mm-hmm. we, should, we should always keep that in mind. Um, but, yeah, yeah, healthcare, like, I, you know... 
that's kind of the reason so many black women and people of color work themselves to death is because this idea that mm-hmm. we have to, you yeah. know, get a good job to get healthcare. Um, when it, you're right. Working just to live. Yeah. And I, like, I'm tired of spending like 60% of my life to enjoy 40% or 20%, you know, well, the math is off, but I don't, I don't like math, but yeah, it's not a good percentage. It's not a good percentage. I know I'm sleeping for a third of it. So like, let's give it like a good, enjoy like a good 10% of my life. Um, yes. But yeah, like I think that it's important that we kind of, like I said, detach ourselves from this idea that it's, you know, capitalism that gives us value and really just mm-hmm. kind of take care of our communities. Yeah. Well, I want to get to uh, on this how you do enjoy parts of your life because you did like a updated intro to you and listed just like basic information about yourself. But one of them really caught oh, my Lord. eye and I was like, I was like, ooh, I already wanted her on, but now we really got to talk. <laughs> it, the question was, do I have a lover? And you put one plus. Yes. I, yes. Uh, yes, I, it was, I did not. I knew somebody would catch that. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Oh, I got it. I got it. I was like, are we talking about poly? Are we talking about non-monogamous? Like, we're just talking about like we dating around. I was like, yes, please. So I have a boyfriend. You probably heard him like closing the door behind me. Um, but uh, yes, I have a boyfriend. Um, he is asexual. And I am mm-hmm. bisexual. And yeah. so, like, we kind of talked it out. Because I remember very early on in our relationship, he was like, listen, I don't, sex is not for me. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was, like, caught off guard because I really, like, loved him at that point. Because we were long distance mm-hmm. at the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel yeah, that. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. I was like, he's like, if you want to leave, leave now. And I was like, first of all, give me some time to absorb <laughs> all this. Second of all, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> second of all, I was like, I'm cool. He's like, wait, what? Um, and so we kind mm-hmm. of agreed to have like a more open relationship, um, like ethically yeah. not monogamous or, you know, ethically mm-hmm. open, I should say, because we mm-hmm. are, are each other's primary partners. Um, yeah. So I, I knew somebody would catch that. I knew it. Like, I, was ho- <laughs> I was just hoping Did- it wouldn't be my mom. But like, I knew somebody would catch it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so because I'm somebody that enjoys intimacy and I speak at the mm-hmm. Woodhall Sexual Freedom Summit every year. Um, so yeah, okay. I'm just very much so. I, lo- I love mm-hmm. love, I guess. So. Yeah. I don't think we've ever talked about. So uh, you might not know this. Uh, so I'm currently in school right now getting my PhD in clinical sexology. Oh, cool. um, and there is, I think, upcoming like a whole course like on asexuality. Um, mm-hmm. And I have had people actually message me questions of like, if my partner's asexual, um, you know, how do we go about kind of like figuring out our sexuality with each other? I've had people say, you know, okay, my partner doesn't have interest in having a sexual relationship with me, but I do. How do I even go about like finding other people and even like explaining that I'm in a relationship, but like, don't worry. Like I don't have sex with my partner, but like, I'm okay to have sex with you. Like I've had actually a few close friends of mine have this uh, form of relationship and many people ask questions about this, but have never talked about it on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. Um, Going through my program, I'm very excited and curious to learn more um, about just asexuality in general um, within within the program. But if there's anything else that you want to share on this or if you feel comfortable, yeah. I'm assuming you haven't talked about this no, before. Like, you- <laughs> I mean, like I've told people that I'm in a relationship with, like I've told different yeah. pieces of it to different people. Um, but like, yeah. I don't think I've talked about it all at once, but yeah, I mean like um, we sleep in separate rooms. Like, you know, it's very much so mm-hmm. we're still very much a partnership and we're also both disabled. Mm-hmm. So like we figure out ways mm-hmm. to be, you know, intimate without being sexual um yeah which I think is important and I think that people discount and every time somebody makes fun of foreplay or whatever like that I'm like oh okay calm down foreplay is where I orgasm exactly. like foreplay is where I am like actually coming it's like I'm a selfish lover <laughs> that's where you you know and so like I think that you know if you find what works for your partner um and you know what's also accessible because I feel like people don't really talk about accessibility mm-hmm. in the bedroom because you're just like 
just the thought of disability mm-hmm. and sex for some people is just very off limits. Um, mm. Which is part of that dehumanizing, yeah, though. Like, it's very weird because people are like, I didn't know disabled people could have sex. I'm like, do you think we're, like, all of us are born like Ken dolls? Like, I don't understand. Like, it's just, yeah. I mean, some, I mean, some people may have a sexual related disability, but I, like, we're not all, like, mm-hmm. like, we have just, we're diverse, yeah. you know? Yeah. One of the things I loved uh, in one of your videos, you were like, um, in case you haven't realized this, like <laughs> uh, chair lift looks a whole lot like a sex swing. Yeah. People were like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I never knew, you know, like I'm very much so like, I was always like the horny teenagers that were just quiet. So like I would mm-hmm. just notice things and be like, huh, no. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people were like very shocked to see that, and you know, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of like fun stuff is actually built with disability mm-hmm. in mind. Um, and there's, I don't know mm-hmm. if you know, that, but there's an entire like new ph- philosophical and thought process between helping disabled people engage in sex acts, you know, as care workers. So there's like a whole movement you know, towards sexual yeah. freedom for disabled people who um, have mm-hmm. you know diverse disabilities. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like, I think, I know, like, nobody really talked to me explicitly about sex. Like, it was always beating around the bush. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, that was a, that was a bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. It was perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I literally, I just, like, yesterday, I mean, this is a part of just my struggle with my back is I literally, like, I can't see my vulva, yeah. period. Like, point blank. I can't fucking see it. Oh, yeah. Like, no matter how much I, like, suck in my stomach to try to, like, I can't, so, like, trimming, I, like, had my partner, like, trim everything off yeah. of me, and I was like, oh, this is so I just sweet. Let it go. nice, like, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Like, you, you, know, you, you get what you get. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, in, even, even like that is inaccessible, and, you know, just different positions. And I always have to tell people, like, move my legs, and, like, this is very awkward. I feel like I'm in Bell's library mm-hmm. moving books apart or whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's um I think it's very empowering to be sexual as a disabled person. I feel empowered. Mm-hmm. Um I know not everybody feels that way, but like for me that's what it is and yeah. yeah. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. I can see that. And I feel like I mean it's empowering just like in general. Yeah. So, I mean that makes total sense. Um I'm wondering if you want to expand a little bit on um, how a lot of the toys or like the play fun part of sex might actually have disability in, in mind or how that like might have came from that. Can you speak a little bit more to that? I mean, I know like the sex swing, that yeah, makes sex sense. Swing, you know, I think that there's, um, you know, like the mis- personal massager, I believe. The personal mm-hmm. massager actually became, came from like the whole hysteria idea in the like early 1800s yeah uh, which was also mm-hmm. a disability related issue because they were they were diagnosing you know sexual women with hysteria mm-hmm. and then using sex toys on them to cure them of their hysteria which is also a disability yeah. issue so it technically originated with disability um yeah yeah i mean i knew that but i don't think i ever knew it in that lens and yeah, yeah. so um and then, uh, like, like the sex pillows, like the angled ones, like you can get one for, like they're they're medical wedges, like yeah, like, yeah. Like I, I have one in my closet. I got it for twenty dollars because it's not like I am not okay. My, this realization came not so much from me being like kinky or anything. It came from me being a bargain mm-hmm. hunter. And I was like, <laughs> I love it. I fucking love this. I was like, I saw this one and I was like, mm, this is like $400. And it, they were like, it's covered in velvet. I was like, I have some velvet in my closet. <laughs> and so I went looking and I was like, this looks like a, a hospital wedge that you like pull, put people up on to, to aid in like digestion mm-hmm. and stuff. So I was like, let me just look for hospital wedges. So I did. And it was like 20 bucks. Wow. Yeah. Like a lot of this stuff. That's resource. That's resourceful, right? right there. Yeah, I'm like it's just a hospital. Like, you know, and I, and I think that things are retooled for you know pleasure for the purpose of pleasure, and we kind of mm-hmm. segregate disability out of it because it's uncomfortable for people to think about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm wondering kind of how your how like 
you didn't really grow up with people like talking about sex, but you found yourself being a very sexual being Mm -hmm. and getting curious about that. I'm curious kind of like how you go about finding um, community maybe within disability community around like sexual empowerment. Like if you see other advocates in disability that do focus on this or if this feels like a space that you're kind of like, I feel alone in this. Like where are the resources? there's tons. So, like, um, when I was growing up, my parents would, like, basically be like, if any boy tries to touch you, make sure that this is a condom first. That was, like, pretty much the end all be of it. Of it. And then yeah. my, other opposite, my extended family would be like, are you dating anybody? And I'd be like, no. And they'd be like, that's so sad. And that was the extent of that. But, like, <laughs> but, you know, going on to the disability community, like, my first reading regarding disability was in a class called me it was like a media representation class and it was talking about how in the sopranos there was a amputee sex worker mm-hmm. who was like fucking mm-hmm. the soprano like the head soprano or whatever and she would just like force him out of the room like okay i'm done with you goodbye uh, and it was like oh my god she's the one in charge i love that um mm-hmm. and so talking about sex and disability i was i felt like i had a little bit of knowledge but um, I talk to people like Robin Wilson Beattie on Twitter and uh, T-, T. Franklin is a disabled sex worker. And um, mm. there's, you know, there's a whole host of disabled, particularly black women that are disabled sex workers mm. as well and um, or sexually liberated. So, and then Sunny mm-hmm. Megatron. Uh, so, yeah, like there's there's several that are very good advocates yeah. for disability and sex. Um and I think it's extremely important because mm-hmm. with conversations around sex comes conversations around consent, which disabled people are very much so not a part of. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. There's so many. Uh, this is a thousand podcast episodes in one. Um, <laughs> That's disability. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I'm wondering if we talk on on porn for a second because you've mentioned a few sex workers and I'm trying to think I know I have a list and I haven't gone through the whole list but a whole list of like ethical uh queer feminist porn and I haven't gone through the whole thing yet so I don't know if that does include disability but I'm wondering if there are platforms or places where you've been able to access and see yourself represented within porn? You know, it's very touch and go because there is a fetish community around disability. So, like, whenever you look up, like, disabled porn or disabled erotica or whatever, it's very much so with that lens. So I haven't really been Mm -hmm. able to find too many outside of people who run their own OnlyFans or things like that. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, I wish there were there was more like I wish there were like sex education through the lens of porn for disabled people like that would be amazing because mm-hmm. I there's so much need there like there's so much yeah. but unfortunately I don't know too many sites or resources that kind of outline from that for the community yeah because I'm thinking even just I mean for black people in general you know the representation in porn is typically very fetishized yeah. and stereotyped <laughs> and like add on top of that also having a disability or um you know being a woman as well that it's like yeah my goodness where yeah it's like pick and choose what you want to watch um but yeah, yeah like, just the fact that the category is named ebony. It just kills me every time. Yeah. Like, really? Who decided it, this? <laughs> Was there a committee who voted on this? It's, it's very bad. It's very bad. Um, one of the things I want to ask you, since I love that you're so open about talking about sex, if you have a favorite sex toy, if you want to yes. share what your favorite sex there's, toy is. There's this thing called Tracy's Dog. And it's like a two-pronged clitoral stimulator and G-spot stimulator. Mm-hmm. And it's simultaneous. It's very mm, okay. It's kind of not accessible to use, but it's also great. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's 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 worth the work you put into it, and yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it's getting me through a lot. 
this quarantine. Yeah, that's that's what they're there for. They're they're reliable. Um, yeah, that is that is the one thing. Um, I think people have heard me mention almost every time that I talk about sex toys is that the getting leverage for penetrative sex is so incredibly difficult yeah. solo, um, and that is I think where. I, that is probably the main act in which I feel like, oh my gosh, my back is yeah. really uh, keeping me at like, this is not <laughs> helpful. For me, like- it's my legs because my legs, okay. I have this thing called like leg erections where like my legs don't really, my brain doesn't really control my legs very well. So like I'll kick somebody mm-hmm. if I get too excited, which like <laughs> yes. sex, like it's not the greatest thing to have happen. So like I have to be like, no, they're like, I'm really like tugging on your leg here. I'm like, yeah keep doing that because my leg my leg will hurt you it, like it has a mind of its yes. own but yeah it's like very difficult to get that leg because like my legs i try to like it's very hard for me to focus on what my legs are doing and focus on what's happening in yeah. the room so um mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's, yeah. it's it's difficult um it's a whole learning process for sure masturbation oh, yeah. where there's a will there's a way <laughs> Yeah. Well, and you said you got to put in some work and I'm over here like, mm, <laughs> I don't want to put in no, I don't want to put in nowhere. I just want to lay there and feel pleasure. Exactly. And I, w- I wish like the hardest part is just controlling my legs. Cause I'm like, stop doing what you're doing. Annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and so I've never used a sex swing before. I've saw one once in person i was at a sex club in toronto Uh that was the first place that i actually saw a sex swing in real life and i was kind of like uh that looks fun but also like i don't really know how i would use it and so it kind of intimidated me i didn't even know how i would get in one but like (laughs) like i would probably be like chugging this like 200 pound 300 pound like like medical lift and do be like what is that i'm like it's the same thing like it's the same thing this one works better Yes, yes. You're like, it's synonymous. Just same same function, okay? You don't need to focus on the look. Exactly. Like, you're fine. Get over it. Like it's like put like bedazzled a little bit. It looks similar. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fancy it up a little bit. Put your own personal touch on there. Um my goodness. I feel like there's so much more that we could talk about and I'm just so so happy that we actually connected because again you crack me the fuck up on social like legit i watch this shit and i'm like dying like i just i want to read this one because this is one that i shared it was just a photo of you but your caption you were in like this beautiful like burnt orange uh i think it's like a one piece like a jumper or something and your caption was, I like to dress like pumpkin spice in the fall so that at least three months out of the year, I'm not under threat of white women calling the police on me for minding my business. And I was just like, oh, there she is. I was like, yes, you just cracked me the fuck up. And you do put everything in a way, you know, when you are talking about disability, when you are talking about ableism, it is so digestible and it is so like to the point and I think it's just very eye-opening and I super appreciate it. And I do want to like offer space for people to support you if they follow you or want to support your work. Do you have like a PayPal or a Venmo or Cash App or anything that you want to direct people to if they want to help contribute to the content that you do oh, share? sure. So my Venmo is Imani-Barberin. Um yeah, and you can find my website at crutchesandspice.com, uh, and I have a donate mm-hmm. button there. Um, and I have a Patreon mm-hmm. button on there as well. So you can find all that stuff on my yes. website. And Amazing. What um, what stuff are you putting up on your Patreon? What kind of content are so you putting So mostly I just repost a lot of my Twitter threads and stuff like that because I like to keep as much of my content as mm-hmm. free and publicly accessible as mm-hmm. possible. Um, but people can support me there yeah. um, if they choose to. I do a lot of threads on Twitter about ableism and, how, and branding. I've been talking about branding in mm-hmm. the 2020 election because that's my field yeah. of expertise. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I, I do a lot of that stuff. So if you are more into that, I am also working on a web series that is coming out soon-ish once I get it all recorded <laughs> um, with uh, other disabled people. So I'm excited about that. 
Oh, that sounds amazing. Well, yeah, people should definitely follow um, so that you can like kind of see when that comes up. And um, we'll definitely put all the links for everything in the episode notes. Um, I think listeners will take so much away from this. And honestly, it's been an absolute thrill. So thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your own personal shit, but also some educational shit. Uh, Super, super appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading, you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right, And, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, try giving my podcast, Miraculous Mamas, a listen. Miraculous Mamas is a safe and inclusive place for you to find a huge amount of educational and relatable information about childbirth and parenting with absolutely everything in between. Each week we discuss important topics, share great resources, hear from experts, and listen to birth stories, all in an effort to bring you reassuring and informative experiences so that you know that you are not alone. That's all on Miraculous Mamas podcast. Look for the podcast link in the show notes or simply search for Miraculous Mamas on your podcast app.